Welcome to the Flamin Connect podcast, a podcast focused on the individual pieces that make up the larger community of people together doing what's right and making a difference. Today's hosts, we have myself, Trevor Grindy, Regan Kuntz, and Mitch Flamin. What is the weirdest food you've tried and would you eat it again? Prairie oysters, and if it was done properly. Mm. Prairie oysters? They're like cowboys. Yeah, cow. Yeah, cowboys. We uh, during 4-H we had a big feed. Um, we were at a a show, so the Saturday night we had a big feed, and they were like um, breaded and fried. They were actually really good. So I've heard I've heard that before. I've heard they they are pretty good. It's starting to sound like li- Liver King here. <laughs> like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, I can't stand liver. Oh, no, to texture. Have you guys ever had um, head cheese? Yes. What yeah. is what is that? So head cheese is really back in the day. Um, they would take all the small muscles and whatever out of the the pigs or the cows mm-hmm. head, and then they would cook it when they put onions and stuff in it. But it, basically, it's in gelatin, right? So they would put all these pieces of what's left over of that animal, including onions, including all the stuff, and they would encase it in gelatin, and you'd slice it off, kind of like a cake, and you put some vinegar and some salt on it. That's an old German thing. It is. Yeah. Huh. It is fantastic. It is actually no, it's really not. good. <laughs> <laughs> so that's one know. of the weirder things I, I've uh, eaten. I would say the top five weirdest things I ate were all during a trip to China. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm trying to think of what some of them were. I remember they, this fish came out and uh, there was some like delicacy with the fish i think it was like delicacy something with the fish eye and i got it or maybe the guys on the trip were just tricking me and like mitch you can't eat that fish eye it was like okay but like they served the fish just like uh i don't know like when it comes out with the whole carcass and stuff and i remember eating the eye so the question was and would you do it again i would because it was like nothing there but it's kind of confusing in your head is it's kind of squishy and it's kind of crunchy and it like has no flavor have you guys eaten grasshoppers, like fried grasshoppers? Oh yeah, but yeah. most mostly like just as bets with pal. Like mm. I'm pretty sure you swallow them more than you chew them. Yeah, yeah. There's protein there. Yeah, building bins as a kid. That was that was <laughs> the thing. <laughs> when yeah. I was in Mexico, we had a a cow eye taco. Oh yeah, and it was we it was chewy, and I, I mean it didn't taste any. Yeah strange or anything like that but yeah it was different yeah. i know last year we went to pike lake and there was filipino family on the shore and they were frying up pig's feet mm. oh, yeah. and it looked really good and it smelled fantastic but you see these little claws sticking out of them and the oil and stuff and like, eh, I'm not sure. <laughs> i don't even know what's there like would you just be eating skin this is my point i don't know how to properly eat half the things so you just take it you start mocking and then it's like don't you don't eat that part. Yeah. Okay. Well, why is it there? Why didn't you cut it off? I would have yeah. flavor. You know. Yeah. Uh, See, my my grandma used to put pig's feet in her sauerkraut all the time. Really? Yeah. And eat the pig's feet too. So would you yeah. would you would you take it bone and all? Is that how you eat pig's feet, or do you like gnaw off the skin? Yeah, or you kind of chew off the you know the spit out the nail or like. Well, the nails removed. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's good. same with chicken feet. If you ever had chicken feet, their nails and the outside skin is all removed, and then. Mm. You know, in like a hundred years, what this world's gonna eat? It's not gonna have any. It's gonna be <laughs> be all produced in a lab. <laughs> mm, yeah, soil and greens. 
Do you remember watching like Back to the Future 2 when they take this little puck size thing and they put it in the microwave thingy and they press a button and out comes a pizza? That's probably what it's going to be. <laughs> it's time for Now You Know. It's the part of the program where we talk to people, experts in their field, various varieties and various areas of farming. And today we're talking with Sean Geddes, the Vice President of Sales from Flamin. Sean, can you talk about grain bagging for a minute? I remember when I was a kid, grain bags weren't a thing. And then I remember when they came out, guys would talk about like, you are insane if you're going to put your money, your cash, your grain in a bag. And it's become common practice where we are, at least where we farm. And uh, what's, what are your thoughts on that? Is it, is it here to stay? Is it going away? Is it getting more popular? Is it getting less popular? That's a great question, Mitch. When I was a kid, uh, if there was a shortage of storage, we piled it on the ground and then... Uh, like a grain ring. You bet. Or even just a yeah. straight up pile. And then uh, uh, always there was always the opportunity as the kids to go out there and grab a scoop shovel and start uh, having some fun and pushing that into the auger. Yeah. But with, you know, just a pile on the ground, you're running all kinds of environmental risks and like rot uh, and you just don't know what's in that pile from even uh, moisture uh, and risk. Um, but grain bagging, I don't think is going away. Um, and I'll tell you why. There's more and more bigger storage going onto farms. Um, but there's also always going to be rented land. And so if you don't have any a whole bunch of security about the opportunity to buy that rented land, you're not going to necessarily put storage on it. Like permanent storage, bins, cement pads. And that rented land could be 12, 15 miles away from your from your farm or your, your, your sites. Or more. Absolutely. Yeah. So what this allows you to do is to be efficient in the field. Uh, you're not waiting for trucks. Uh, you're not making laps. Um, you're just loading the bag. And a, a grain bag is really just temporary grain storage. And so it also allows you to be efficient in the field and uh, it will... Most farmers will have their bags cleaned up before winter as they're moving their crops. And there's all kinds of tools for filling bags, extracting bags, and even rolling up the old bags. There's recycling programs available. Another reason um, that I don't think grain bags are going away is every farm only has so much grain storage. And there are times where they're going to carry grain uh, over or they're waiting for X number dollar per bushel canola. And they are using it as a management tool. Um, maybe they don't need the income right there, right right, you know, off the combine or even through that year, and they're going to hold. So what that would mean is that they're going to be short of storage when it comes to har harvest. And so that allows them another resource or tool to expand their storage uh, for very little cost. What are your thoughts on the legislation um, mandating that plastics and grain bags are going to be prohibited? Well, I think it's more of a concern about the bags blowing around in the countryside and laying in a slough bottom. There are 
recycling programs and management programs for these grain bags. And I think that's more the concern is making sure that we're doing the right things that the pundits would like us to do with those plastics rather than just late leaving them in a field or in a slew bottom. There's a lot of great takeaways from this conversation. Thanks a lot, Sean. Today, our guest is Travis Fry from uh, AGI, Territory Sales Manager. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome, everybody. Looking forward to this. It's going to be exciting. Hopefully, I still have a job when we're done. Yeah. <laughs> Yet to be seen. Yet to be, Yet seen. to be seen. You may or may not be working for AGI once this airs. Yeah. <laughs> or when it comes to additional discounts, we uh, may just have to pull some. <laughs> yeah. some Travis said we're getting 2%. Yeah, <laughs> I heard it. Yep. So what uh, what motivates you to get up every morning? Uh, what are you about? Who? What is Travis Fry about? I love just socializing with people, networking, talking, learning about people. Curious person by nature. That's probably what I love about agriculture so much is getting on farm and sitting back and just letting the grower tell their story, why they do what they're doing, why they're doing it different than this guy. Um, or this grower, why, yeah, that kind of stuff. Curious person, love to learn and just love to listen and hear people's stories. What, what led you to this style of a career or even to AGI? How did you uh, end up in the position you are? So I guess to give you the quick rundown of how it all started, like every probably small town boy in, you know, a 2000 or smaller town population town, I started working at the co-op or one of the gas stations that was in town, pumping gas. Like, like 16 years old sort of thing? 15 oh, yeah. years old, riding oh, yeah. my bike. I don't even know if you're allowed to be hired then, but I was, or maybe I didn't have my license yet. I can't remember. So I'd either have someone pick me up to go to work or I'd ride my bike to work for the first year. And yeah, pumping gas was a gas jockey for a while and loved it. You know, you had a pile of fun at the gas station with the group, work with guys like Chris Osmack and Spencer McCarthy, oh, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. That was in Watchers? Yeah, that was yep. in Watchers, yeah. So that was the, I didn't get to experience the old store, which was Anarchy, I guess. The new store was uh, a lot of fun. There was a tradition, which, whatever, I don't work there anymore, but there's a tradition where you had an old squeegee. We were very diligent on how you break in squeegees to use because, you know, you don't have a squee bad window. So we'd have this extreme process we'd go through, get these squeegees broken, and then eventually, you know, they didn't work, and so you had to get rid of them. So we had a tradition. You had to throw it onto the roof of the food store, <laughs> which was right behind the gas station. Yeah. So this went on for, I don't know how many years, probably two, three years, and finally something went on with the AC system on the food store. So they went up there to check, and they're like, why are there hundreds of squeegees <laughs> up here? <laughs> and we had to kind of play, I, I don't know. So that kind of blew the, blew the, the lid on that <laughs> one. A little bit of trouble yeah. from there. Yeah. Um, Found out what was wrong with the AC. There was a squeegee stuck in the side of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, Somebody threw it up there. Uh, yeah, and then there were stories that they used to throw it in the ditch across the road from the gas station and that went on for years and then finally the town decided to cut it with an industrial mower probably a shulty <laughs> and they said it was just everywhere yeah, just going all <laughs> Shrapnel. over the place. Um, but yeah so that's well, that's how I one of my first jobs that I had and then that moved from there kind of got tired of the hours didn't want to work the weekends I mean I was a young high school kid I wanted to be drinking and having yeah. fun didn't want to wake up at 7 o'clock to go pump gas so I uh 
talked to the agro side of the co-op that was there and they had a position so i'm like sweet i work from 3 30 till 6 in the evenings i get my nights to myself and you're not there till eight o'clock on a saturday yeah so it was like sweet this is perfect loading so, chemical no so it, when watchers there was it's no chemical it oh, was yeah. like a hardware store oh yeah and the more the most we did an egg was like smooth wall bins galve bins fence posts high hog panels and kind of that stuff it was yeah. very basic on the egg stuff yeah um, so I was working with, uh, under Mike Janet there and started like working my way up, became assistant manager, implemented the, uh, new till system that we got there and was in charge of all the inventory, all that fun crap. And so then, all of a sudden work got to be a little less fun than, uh, squeegees that would just go, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you're actually responsible <laughs> yeah. for them. <laughs> now I'm uh, dealing with numbers and crunching and all this stuff. And yeah, it was, it was getting a little different and obviously like, I think I was 19, 20 years old at the time. And so, yeah, kind of get into the real work stuff. And then Mike Janet ended up leaving, and now he's still with FCL. He's an egg, high up in the egg side there. I think a district manager. I don't know exactly what his title is. So that'll come relevant later while I'm mentioning this. So, uh, yeah, he left, and the position of manager was open. So me, a 20-year-old kid, well, I've been being assistant manager, and I was running the store basically for the three months that he was gone put my application in, got it. And then there's me, 20 year old Travis managing people that are, you know, 60 years, anywhere between 20, again, 20 and 60 years. We only had like, I think seven, eight employees. So not a whole lot, but still lots of different mentalities, lots of different uh, personalities. And at 20 years old, I'm like, I'm really not enjoying this that much. And I'm really not doing a lot of egg like i don't care about a hammer and bolts yeah i don't i like this bin stuff i like dealing with this but all i have is bins to sell and uh, i was talking to my uncle at the time and um blair's in town was uh blair's talk, fertilizer blair's, blair's fertilizer yep yeah they uh chris schmidt was man is well i still manages there he was talking to my uncle and apparently made the comment like oh, i could really use someone like travis around because i just lost my salesman and i'm like oh like why would i'm like that's kind of random like i don't even know my name came into the conversation i didn't even think chris schmidt knew who the hell i was so that got me thinking and he my uncle's telling me like yeah like roughly what he what chris was telling him I'm like sounds like a not bad gig you know being out on the road being with farmers all that kind of stuff i'm like yeah i'd probably be so whatever put in sent a resume went for a very very informal interview ended up getting the job and changed over to that and i think that was december of 2012 i started with the blairs group and was loved it because you were on farm again not there was nothing equipment it was all at that time fertilizer seed inputs basically helping growers come up with their farm plan for the year and do anything that i thought could help them and you know benefit them and basically grow the best crops that they could and it was awesome because you got to learn so much again why is this grower doing this why is this grower using ammonia and liquid why is this grower using dry like a lot of it and you know finding out all of that kind of stuff which was cool to hear their stories mm -hmm. and find out well i don't have a lot of manpower so i'm gonna do this i you know i have the mans in the truck so this is why i go this way i want to be able to seed 300 acres in a day so this is why i'm using this stuff so mm -hmm. um yeah, that was, I really, really enjoyed that. Um, we probably didn't have as much staff as we needed at the location. So I kept kind of butting heads and being kind of stuck on location. Whereas I wanted to be more 
Um, obviously, I like like being on location, have those conversations, but I wanted to have the ability to go out and be on farm more. And um, so, yeah, did this job for seven years with the Blair's Fertilizer Company. And then towards the end, kind of, I'd say company visions and my vision weren't in line anymore. And I just kind of started getting to the point where I'm like, you know what, I... I'm not working to my full potential and I'm realizing that in my daily life and my daily work that mm-hmm. I am not mm-hmm. being a good employee. So I need to find a way to do fix that. And the only way I could come up with, because obviously the company's not changing, they're doing their thing. I'm like, I think I just have to exit the company. So I, uh, and I never go on LinkedIn ever, ever. I have it. I maybe check it once a year at the most. And that day, I can't remember if I think I got an, an email on my phone and it looked and it said, somebody's congratulating you on some bullshit anniversary, something like that. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I click on like, ah, whatever, I'll click on it. So I open it up and it's got right on the first page, it's got uh, recently posted opportunities. And I look and the very top one, the first one on the line right in front of your face, AGI territory sales rep, because it was a TSR at the, when I started. And I'm like, hmm. Like AGI, like egg, egg company, I believe, because Dave Popla I knew, he was with AGI. Uh, he was Mike Jennett's boss for a little while there. So I'm like, that sounds good. And, you know, I've had conversations with Mike Jennett in the past about egg, the egg equipment world and what that was like. And he really liked it. And he's like, nah, like, I think you'd really enjoy something like this. Um, so, and like, those are conversations over the years, like very small ones. So I'm like, you know what? Like, I'm... I'm interested in this. So I remember I called Mike up, like, what do you think this would be? And what, what questions should I ask? And like, if I get an interview, like, what should I ask? What kind of things, like, how do I like sell myself on this? So I remember having the conversation with him, like right as I'm on the way to the <laughs> interview for this job with uh, Dave Popple and our, the HR guy and like figuring out what I need to do and like how I can really like present myself the best. So yeah, I went for the interview, um, had that apparently did, very good. Found out I interview much better in person than I do over the phone, which is very obvious. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am a terrible interviewer or per talker over the phone, much better in person. Um, and yeah, so had that, everything went good. I, they offered me the job and then yeah, I had to inform the group at Blair's that, sorry, I am no longer there and ran out the month and then started. And it was actually fun. I found it funny because within, I think it was five or seven days exact of being seven years from when I started at Blair's is when I left. Because oh, I, really? I think it was December 12th and I think I left December 5th, seven yeah. years later. So yeah. like, and it was, I always, and I, I thought it was funny because I'd always heard, you know, these, I don't know if it was comments or things, you know, millennials or whatever generation I am, every seven years, big change in careers is like what we do. Yeah. <laughs> Almost seven years to the date I changed. Yeah. So yeah. I guess AGI, you got four years. Yeah. <laughs> so you've been with AGI for three years now? Yeah. Come, it was three years in December, I guess. Three years. Yeah. First day on the job, Dave was like, oh yeah, so we'll get you going. He's like, uh, we got Flamin's Egg Business Canary, ABC event. First day I'm like, oh, well, Okay, I guess uh, I told him, like, I know none of our product because I'm just starting. He's And obviously he'd do this. And I'm like, but I, we had a storm when I was at Blair's. So, and I ran the storm there. So I'm like, oh, I know the storm. I understand the technology. I know how it works. No problems with it. 
I'll just stand. I'll plant my ass by that storm with Leanne Marin, <laughs> yeah, yeah. who's the storm expert now, a TIA territory sales manager as well. And uh, I'm like, I'm gonna plant my ass beside her. And if anybody asks me about anything, I'll just play dumb and be like, no, I only deal with storm just for this <laughs> week. And then I was honestly, I was slightly terrified going into it. There's so many people I have no idea who anyone is. You meet all the sales staff and that, and trying to remember names, and you know, you see them and. 10 minutes later, they come and chat with you and call you by name. And I'm like, yeah, you, how can I help you? <laughs> I'm like, I, it's going to take me a little while, but yeah, it was good. Cause I got to meet all of my Flamins group in one day. It was like yeah. drinking from a fire hose, but it was an awesome, yeah. awesome way to start. That's for sure. Plus got to sit back and listen to all that other sales reps kind of talk about the product and all that. So, I mean, it was a great trial by fire and it turned out pretty good. Trade, good trade shows have always been my favorite way to onboard new employees because the expectation should be zero. They're not like, what are they going to do? But there's so much opportunity to just listen, pay attention, and learn. You get asked questions, and at the time, at your first trade show, you don't know if they're common questions or not, but you know that like you are diligently writing stuff down like, hey, I'm going to have to go research this. I'm going to have to go check this. I need to learn this. I need to... And then you learn that a lot of it was like, it didn't matter. And the stuff that you heard like seven times in the same day at the trade show was like, okay, well, that must be common this year. What's so, uh, what size bolts are on the top end of an XTA auger? I don't, I don't know. I better write that down and find out. And three years later, it doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I don't know. Tight ones? Like yeah. they're tight. Yeah. Like, <laughs> they, they got a lock yeah. nut on the end. What do you yeah. want from me? I don't know. <laughs> So what have been? Uh, what would be the biggest lesson you've learned in the three years at AGI? Um, how are you different today than you were when you started? Oh, how is how am I different? I would say I've le definitely learned a lot of like this job is very, um, I guess, home based uh, um, orientated is how you'd say. So like we don't have real office space per se. Yeah. Um, and me being a social pack animal, that has been the hardest. I guess part of the whole thing is, you know, we spend days at home dealing, looking at going through emails and figuring out quotes and phoning people and dealing like people on the phone, but not in person. Yeah. And those I'd say are the hardest dates or the hardest days for like the job and that. But I guess I've learned I need to really work on punctuality. Um, I'm trying to be more like Warren Shimko. Uh, big shout out to him. If you're not 15 minutes early, you're already late, which is a great policy. <laughs> I need good. to I need to get on that one because I am a typical fry and not very good with time. And just and I I, I get it from my grandpa. Like a complete side story. I remember Dad telling me he was supposed to go visit family out in I don't know if it was out in Alberta or BC. And this was way before like guys uh, dementia. And he was still driving. He heads out to visit this fam to visit family. And I can't remember if he was going to see my aunt or who exactly he was going to see. And a day passes, he's not there. What the hell? Two days passes, he's not there. What the hell? Like, where is grandpa? And I think it was like three days later, he finally shows up and they're like, where the hell have you been? Everybody's been looking for you. Oh, well, I stopped to eat and I got talking to this group, this couple. And well, they knew so-and-so's aunt who was a brother of their sister and turns out we were related there and da-da-da. And I went and stayed with them for two days. <laughs> like, are you shitting me? Like, this is a legitimate story. Like, this actually happens. But like, that was just crap. And I feel like I'm very much like him where it's like you get... 
you get caught up and you just get in the moment and just like, ah, like, yeah, whatever. I can figure the rest out. Time's not a big thing. So I find when I'm even like setting up my week and plans and like even to meet sales staff and that, you know, lots of, lots of reps will have two, three, four, five stops, you know, bigger territories too. So they really have to be boom, boom, boom. Whereas I find myself giving way less stops. And so I have big lumps of time yeah. because I, one thing I hate doing is let's say you're on farm or even in the store, it's like, oh yeah, let's, we get on this tangent. Let's talk about this. Let's figure this out while I'm here or you're on farm. Oh yeah, let's talk about this or we're just going to get, you know, essentially having a discussion and say, oh shoot, no, sorry, I, I got to go. I have another, I have another appointment. I got to be at, I can't stay any longer. And I hate that because I hate limiting the interaction. Yep. If I have it, I would rather take four days to make those visits than do it all in one or two and lose that possibility of yeah. the connection and the networking and yeah. that kind of stuff. Well, let's let's dig into that a little bit. Um, how did you grow up? How big is your family? Uh, yeah, for sure. So, Watcher's boy, born and raised. Family uh, moved out there. I think 1905 was when the family was started, or like the farm was. So you're an OG, Fry Watcher's. I'm an OG. Yeah. yeah. There's two cool. Fry families in Watcher's, and we are not related, which is very oh, really? hilarious for a 2000 <laughs> person. Yeah. Town. If, if it goes yeah. if it goes back to 1905, you're probably related. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> probably. Yeah. They moved in. We were first. Oh yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, Grandpa, Grandpa's, I guess grandparents. Um, that's where. I think it was shoot was it grandpa's grandparents or grandpa's parents i can't remember how far back that would be i think it was his grandparents nope sorry it would have been his parents they moved into the farm they started the homestead and uh my grandma was from guernsey i think i think their farm was real close close to guernsey she was one of 18 kids oh wow yeah i think my grandma had or her mom had three kids previously then got married and they had 15 so yeah, there was 18 kids in that family. Um, and I mean, it's maybe not something to laugh about and joke about, but I always kind of say like, well, back in those days you had to because, you know, unfortunately kids were kind of dying left, right and center and there was farm accidents and this. And when I look at that family, unfortunately, I think two or three of them did pass away from like farm related accidents. Wow. I think the one brother got crushed by a header when he was working on it or something like that. Like awful things, but I'm thinking those days, that's why you had 18 kids. Because yeah, <laughs> you needed all the hands and all the help. And I mean, yeah. you probably unfortunately lost a couple along the way. So that's where, so they met, got married. We were on the farm. There's me, my dad, my mom, uh, and two older sisters. I'm the baby of three. If anybody knows me, I do have very intense smaller youngest sibling ten tendencies and hey, Fry guy, the I'm, I'm the youngest too yeah see, Num number three yeah. Yeah. yeah and i mean i was the only boy in the family too i remember sometimes i wonder i think i'm the only boy in the family too <laughs> no. i'm just kidding if my brother's listening yeah. i'm just kidding sorry ryan yeah we always debate uh who's stronger and who's tougher because those are very different metrics so so yeah and i remember uh and i i don't know why grandpa would have been so excited i think maybe because i was the first boy i mean at that time you know everybody needed a boy to carry on the name blah 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 and there was other grandsons i think there was three or four other grandsons at this point but then i was born and <laughs> mom told, told me how grandpa came like the second he heard boy comes barging in the room she's i think still up in the stirrups and stuff and it's like get the hell out of here <laughs> but he was just so excited to meet meet this yeah, the boy the first boy in dad's family 
Um, so yeah, that was, that's my family. There's five of us. We were on the farm till I think I was about three. We moved into town. Uh, my uncle Murray moved onto the farm and he and him and my dad were farming for a bit together. And then he, um, was basically took over. He was doing all the farming. And then, so in my dad's family, there was the four of them. There was Ron, Mur- Ron, Norma, Murray, and dad. Dad was the baby as well. So that's the fry side and what was going on there. We, so yeah, we moved into town. Dad worked multiple jobs growing up. He was a carpenter. He worked carpentry and he wasn't a journeyman or anything. Um, didn't have his tick papers, um, but he worked carpentry. And then I think he was a janitor in town for a while. Um, like lots of people that age, dad quit school at grade 10, went to, went to go work on the farm. Um, he also had a like, brain injury when he was younger um so he had epilepsy his whole life so i think for him it was just easier to just go farming and stuff like that and yeah so then we moved on we were in town uh dad was working that my mom amazing lady was working at what the hell did she do at the she was still she was at the doctor's office i believe the whole time i was growing up so she was the office manager for the watchers doctor's office I think my entire childhood and until she actually moved from moved into the city here and she also did multiple jobs she worked uh she was on town council the whole time and she was a paramedic so I think at that time the highest you could get was like a PCP primary care paramedic but I remember she had all of her training she was on call like I look back at it and I'm like you know everybody says you know privilege or be you know privilege and all that i'm like well if this is what privilege is my parents really really had to work for me to get it because they didn't make a pile of money they but they worked their asses off to make sure i got where i was and you know we had everything we could ever want and that they when i look back at it, i'm just like like thank you for every i can't thank my parents enough um for everything that they've done for me and where i'm at I might actually choke up here and I'm not an emotional person. That's good. That's good. That's good. Um, Because, yeah, like I think back of all they did, all the hours they put in. I remember riding on the polisher with dad while he was uh, cleaning the civic center in town because he'd be cleaning and, well, he had to watch me. So (laughs) I'd be riding on the polisher while he's pushing it around and stuff like that and only stayed with grandpa a couple times because the one time I did, he turned his back for a second and I was out of there like a shot because I think I broke an elastic or something and thought he was going to be so mad that I broke his elastic. And and he lived just down the back alley from where mom worked. And next thing you know, mom, I'm standing there being like, mom, and she's like, what are you doing here? Like, how are you here and why? Where's grandpa? Yeah. So yeah, I didn't stay with grandpa a whole, a whole bunch when I was younger until I was a little less of a flight risk. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it neat when you get to a certain point in your life and you start to look back on, a, on your upbringing and you start to realize mm-hmm. um, what lessons you were um, shown or mm-hmm. were instilled in you, you know, like hard work, um, you know, uh, trustworthy, all of that thing. Mm-hmm. And, and now that you're, you're older and you're established in your career, you look back and say, oh, wow, that had a profound effect on me. Mm-hmm. And it takes you to a certain point in your life till you actually somewhat realize it. And 100%. I think when I was 20, I realized some, but my God. I mean, part of me wishes I could have, you know, all this knowledge and stuff when, you know, all this, uh, not love, but respect for my parents when I was 20 and just everything and all those lessons. But it's like, ah, then I probably wouldn't have 
did all the things that I did and learned a lot of the lessons yeah. that probably helped me as well. So I'm glad that I'm learning it now. But again, looking back 30, it's amazing. It's like another wave of respect and like lessons and like, look what they have taught me and look what they have instilled on me and things like that. I even look back at, you know, in high school, um, I was never a fantastic football player, but loved football and even the the lessons and stuff that were instilled into me my friends everyone like when I started playing football uh my the head coach was Barry Croshaw and then there was Steve Armstrong was there too and I think Blair Fredrickson but Barry I know Barry was not a big fan of me at all did not like me because I, I was a shithead in high school <laughs> I was a hundred percent a shithead I was a ringleader I was leading people into bad decisions we would do not horrendous decisions but we were not a law-abiding small town great, Saskatchewan yeah, exactly yeah. right like all the crap <laughs> yeah. anybody's ever done in a small town and I was usually the ringleader or involved in it and yeah just doing stupid shit. and I know Barry was not a fan of me when I started football and then we get to grade 12 less of a head and then graduated and I started coaching um I I was still in town I'm like you know what I still really enjoy this I enjoy being around the kids and the and just the mentality of football and like this philosophy that Barry and Steve have implemented and Barry was the main one because he'd been there for so long um but yeah this whole like philosophy of respect and um work ethic and all of that and you know taking uh, taking can not control your life but you know your actions have consequences and if you screw up it's not just you the whole team screws up I remember the one day we had two kids they uh, skipped school for an afternoon and he made us run it was like 44 40s is what we ran that morning because these two skipped oh, yeah. and he made I don't even know if they did them or they watched but stuff like that that we learned that was just so impressive but anyways I'm getting sidetracked as per usual it's like <laughs> that's okay <laughs> so uh yeah like things like that learning and then so going back to like coaching I coached for about seven years um and then COVID happened I moved to the city it was getting a lot harder and then when COVID happened it was like you know what they can only have so many coaches I'll just back away and I was really losing my interest because in reality I could not stand the mentality of the kids mm -hmm. playing football anymore from when I played to when they played like I call Barry a softie from what it was, but it wasn't his fault. You aren't allowed to yell at kids and you aren't allowed to hold them accountable for their actions and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. it's like, hey, it was it was amazing the mentality that shifted in seven, eight years from when I played. So it would have been like 10 years at that point from when I started to when yeah. I made my exit out of it. And, uh, and yeah, you could tell like the frustration just because, you know, these kids aren't showing up. They don't have the enthusiasm. Well, you can't give them for it because it's just the way things have gone right but yeah so at the end I'm, I left and then so go to the beginning I know Barry wasn't a big fan of me now last year I went to uh, my aunt and uncle of a timeshare Croshaw's so Barry and his wife and them they have a timeshare there as well a bunch of watchers people are at the same resort I went and drank and hung out with Barry for two days like good mm -hmm. friends with him now is from yeah. coaching he, and he's one of my yeah. buddy's dads yeah. and uh, you know talk to him and he's and he's you know, made comments like he definitely respects me more and where I've come to compared to where I was because it was, yeah, I was a big shithead who apparently showed some promise. <laughs> so what is it about your current job or current role or current company that you like the most? And I'll, and I'll give you an example of like for me and my sake, but I'm a firm believer in 
if you can put people in a position of their strength, you'll mm-hmm. get more out of them. And it's be, it's often because you remove them from different opportunities that expose their gaps. And so that's I would say that's the position I'm in now at work. I have way more fun coming to work. I feel like I'm way more productive. I make a way bigger difference mm-hmm. in what we do. And yep. I go home typically feeling like it wasn't even a day of work. It was just I just went and did stuff. So so that's kind of my context behind what's and then I guess the other thing too is like I'm a bit of an ambassador of the the brand of our company. So when I get to come to work and have fun and see other people having fun, that's also what I like the most about the company is for the most part. Like we mm-hmm. have it's not just something we say, like we we live a pretty good time here. But so just with that in context, mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. What do you like most about your job? What do you like most about what you do? What do you like most about the company you work for? So great group of people immediately that I work with. Our Canadian sales team, this isn't just a you know job security comment. This is, I really enjoy, I work with uh, my starman, like Dave, my boss, awesome. He's not, you know, thumb on top of me, making sure like micromanaging me what I do, gives me the freedom to run the territory as I want to run it. At the end of the day, as long as things are being done and there's no negative comments and like that coming out of the territory, obviously I must be doing it right. So I love that I've got that. The sales reps that we have to work with, awesome. We've got, I think there's five of us in the Saskatchewan, four or five in Alberta, and we've got our SSRs, so Tyler and Spencer, but like just a great, great group of individuals who at the end of the day, um, I mean, everyone has complaints with their company, right? Everyone thinks their company should do this, or they should do this, or they should do this better. But at the end of the day, is trying to do the best to make not only, you know, AGI a better company, but our products better and serve our dealers better. Like, make it better, make everything better so that you guys can do the best job for your customers out there. You know, at the end of the day, we have that end growers, um, we have them in mind and what we want them to succeed working with my dealers. Like I have uh, the Flamins Group who runs their business one way. I have my co-ops who run their business a different way. I have independents who run their business a different way. And I, they're all different businesses and I'm not gonna ever say one way is right or one way is wrong. Could things always except be on tweet, the, right? Except on this podcast. Well, ex- except on yeah. this, the way the Flamin guys, there's nothing that I would ever shine. They have a gun to my head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, that's like, it's interesting and it's really because you guys have a lot of great things you do that work great for you. Other, uh, you know, dealers have stuff that works for them. And I think it's also play when I look at it, it's like you say, it's playing to their strengths. Yeah. They know what their strengths and weaknesses are, what they can do and what they can't. So they're trying to play towards you guys know what you guys are doing a really good job of, uh, you guys have figured out your weaknesses. And you guys are exploiting the shit out of them and getting them fixed and dealt with, right? You know, you look at it for a little while, service maybe was a little lacking. And now look at your service in Saskatoon. Like with the yeah. addition of James, uh, James running the apartment. I think he's got Kent there and he's got Tex in that. Like when I think of where um, the service was, and I'm not saying, again, full disclosure, I'm not saying you guys' service was shit or anything when I started, but when I look at where it was yeah. then compared to now, girls, yeah. oh, it's yeah. so like it's so impressive, and even um, the like I said, you put strengths. James as a person in there. Yeah, I if I get an email for, or a phone call from James, it's always oh shit, because I know <laughs> there's something actually going on or he needs help. Yeah, it's not like hey, uh, I've got this like belt that's loose. Like, what do I do? Well, 
like James has such a good handle and stuff. So when I look at mm-hmm. like the service and like that, yeah. and that's a huge, and I think when it comes to egg equipment, the service side is the big, big bonus. I mean, at the end of the day, anybody can sell off a price, but to sell yourself, yeah. your, you as a person and your service, those are where you're going to build the relationship and get yeah, for sure. that, that extra margin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, define AGI's culture and what is your role within that culture? The feeling I get out of AGI for culture is that we just want to, we want to be the best and we want to help our growers be the best and we want to help our sales group be the best. Um, we want to be able to offer a full product from that, you know, deals with almost every aspect of a grower's farm, every piece of it. But at the end of the day, like that stuff aside, we want to come out with the best product. We want to have reliable products. Um, I look at when <laughs> this might be get me into trouble too, but whatever I'm going to say it. When I was back <laughs> at the co-op days, uh, co-op has always sold Westfield, Westfield and Wheatheart were the auger brands that they sold. When I was in Watchers, those were complete. Yeah, you did not like if you bought one, you bought it because it was super cheap. On our farm, we had Secundiac. Yeah, so it's all it was was Secundiac, and even in the area, big time Secundiac, very very well built product. Yeah. And then when I came to AGI and learned, it's like, oh, like, what kind of augers are we selling? And someone then Dave's like, oh, yeah, it's uh, Westfield and Wheatheart. And I'm just like, I know about these things from where they were. Yeah. This is going to be a challenge. And then talking to the people like Woody, everybody knows Woody. He's gone through from the beginning where the products were to where they are now, all the changes we've got. And now I can actually say we do have one of the best, if not the best product on the market when it comes to an auger. Because they realized, and we had to change mentalities. We had to put people in places that they were working to their strengths so we could get our product to where it was. Mm -hmm. But it's night and day. Now I have people back home running Westfields and AGI augers, Wheatheart, all that. Sorry, I use one brand name, but it's Wheatheart, Westfield, all that stuff. I have our augers. And they're not worried about them anymore. Yeah. They're, it's not like, oh, well, I don't know. It's like, I, they weren't good. It's like, you are right. And I will say it. You're right. It was not a good product. It was a not, I shouldn't say not good. It wasn't built to where it should have been. It was built good enough. Is it good? It's good enough. And that's where it stopped. Whereas now we are really as a company moving away from that. Uh, we don't want stuff to be, oh, it's, it's good. It's good enough. No, 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 no. It needs to be past good enough. We don't want someone to say, oh, no, that works. It's like, no, this is way more than what we need. Like, So that's, I think, AGI's kind of mentality where I, and even my, I guess, thought process of where I want that to be, and that's what I always push for, is trying to get our product to the best. Um, and we always, you know, I always butt heads with the people at the end because I'm always trying to push one way, but, you know, and what I've tried to really learn lately is the, there's a, we want a lot of changes and we want stuff to be there, but it also has to be practical in the manufacturing side is what I'm learning. You know, some small things like even had one request yesterday, they wanted this little custom thing and I had to explain to them like, you know what, to you and they wanted a, it was a utility. They wanted a shorter utility. Sorry, we sell one 16 foot. I only need 14. To you and I, it's not a big deal. We cut it off, ship it out to you. It's easy. But in a plant that's shipping mm-hmm. out a million pounds of steel a week, that is a huge 
issue for them to try and yeah. stop the process, get that cut, change jigs, all that stuff, and then continue on with what they're doing. Yeah. The odds of that getting done properly are very, very small. Yeah. So that's why, you know, that's when, that's what I'm learning about the manufacturing side and why a lot of this stuff and changes, you know, why it does take time and why it does take two, three years because mm-hmm. you move one little thing and now it's just got a trickle down effect on everything. So, yeah. So, can you talk to me a little bit about testing products? <clears throat> so I know, I know Woody from like a long time ago. And what was fun to see was when he got put on the, I'm just going to say, I don't actually know what his title would even be now, but I'll say when he got put on the UCX product, he would come in here bouncing up and down about how excited he was. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was like, that's a, a, a totally different angle that is not uh, typical to what AGI was when we when AGI first um, started, I always make the joke like AGI bought all of the companies that Flamin sold, like <laughs> Weed Hard Augers <laughs> and Twister Bins, and they just so Flamin just became the sales arm of of AGI. But Woody was our rep back then. But moving forward now, AGI has become a lot bigger company and changed gears on really what the focus is and what the importance is. But when I see Woody come in bouncing up and down like you got to see this thing you got to see how many Mm -hmm. bushels we put through this thing you got to see how fast it is um talk to me a little bit about testing products and r&d products so yeah um that goes again to like where our product was before compared to where it is now and why we've got to the places we were because we have people like woody who are now he was a territory like he built augers he was a territory rep he's done it all and now his sole purpose in life is to make our product the best. He works with the engineers and it started with something as simple as the, I think like the 16 inch auger. So he, he loves to tell this story and I love telling the story. They, their testing was you hook it up, you maybe go on some perfectly smooth asphalt and if it works, well then it's fine. It's going to be good to go. Well, that's not real world application. That's an engineer's test. That is not a real world application. That is not going to tell us when this will fail, which is what we need to know. We don't want to know if, we want to know what it takes to break it. Because then we know, okay, all of this, this 1% that it broke in, that's not typical use. Like we know that's outside of typical, right? That's where we want to find is how we, what we have to do to actually break and then fix it and make it stronger. So when they started, um, when we had even STX, I think there was issues with STX frames. Then we moved up to the STX two. So this isn't the Woody story, but um, the guys were telling me they're when they had the track, they would just go on this little track, and it was very smooth going. That was the, the test. Oh, the frame held up. It's good. I think Tyler and the guys were in there, and they hooked up to this new. I think it was the STX two XTAs, and they hooked up to it, and they went down i forget how long they drove was it two hours or three hours and they were going down back roads and they were going over train tracks and they weren't slowing down <laughs> yeah. for train tracks yeah. Yeah. this thing was bouncing small behind. town stuff yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah. exactly. yeah. 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 <laughs> look what this thing could do and they were taking it through its paces they weren't slowing down for stuff like when i when i tow it i'm going much slower than what they're doing and mm-hmm. when i'm telling everyone how to do it do not do that and but they were doing what they could they got back the frame was in peace. The unit was together. Tires were on. They're like, okay, this thing is solid. This should be a good product. So that's the testing that need to happen. 
and that's the Woody mentality. And so the 16-inch story, they needed to do the testing on the 16-inch frame to see how good it was. And they, again, before, they didn't really do much testing. Woody's like, well, we need to see what this can handle. Let's, so they filled it full of corn. Yeah. And I think those 16-inch hold, like, is it three or 600 bushels is what that thing will hold when it's full. I think it's about 300 bushels of grain. Filled this thing full of grain in the hopper, everything. Full of, sorry, corn is yeah. what was in it. And so then they built this ramp. I'm like, okay, we're going to build this ramp. It was, I think, 12 inches tall with railroad track ties or something. <laughs> and we're going to hook up to the tractor, and we're going to drive this thing over it. And we're going to see what happens. Mm-hmm. And the engineers are just like, uh, no, we can't do that. <laughs> like, yeah. what if it falls down? Yeah. Like, what if we break it? And yeah. he's like, well, then we fix it, and we do it again. Yeah. And we fix what <laughs> broke, and then we make it stronger. And so he, they hit it like two mile an hour, nothing. Four mile an hour, nothing six mile an hour nothing he i think the number is and maybe i'm just exaggerating but i swear to god he told me they went 12 mile an hour and hit this thing and ramped this 16 inch auger yeah off of it full of corn and they said it swayed and did this and then stopped and what he always says he looks at it, he's like it's fucking good <laughs> <laughs> well, that's yeah, crazy because be if you watch a if you take a look at a 16 inch auger and you fill it full of corn you know you're looking at 20,000 pounds plus, right? And that that tube just droops, mm-hmm. right? Like it's full. Mm-hmm. And now to ride that over the frame and with the tires and oh my God. Yeah. So like it's, I, I love hearing that test. And like that's yeah. the stuff that they're doing. And it's now awesome. like they do that, but now it's even to the point where they hook uh, sensors up to this whole thing. So they've got computers now and it's this cool program that the engineers use. They hook it up and then it, they do the testing and it shows green areas, red areas, like all that. So like the stress points. Yep. But they have, I forget when they did the, X, uh, the X2s, the new ones that are out now. I forget how many sensors they put on that entire unit. Was it 30 or 300? I can't remember what. It's a pile of sensors that they put on and then they do all their tests, their yeah. lift tests, pressure, and then they get all of these readings to see, okay, no, like this is a high stress point. What can we do to fix it? Um, so yeah, like that's the kind of new testing that we're doing now. And then over to the U, like the UCX, um, again, Woody mentality, we need to test this for one to two years, see how it works real world. And if it holds up, if it holds up to Woody's expectations and his testing, it's going to hold up yep. because Woody is not afraid to take it to guys who he knows will treat it like crap and put it through the ringers. Like yeah. he's got over, he's got, I think at least 2 million bushels through that prototype, never greased it unless someone else has greased it for him. He's never greased it yeah. and it's running pretty much like a top. It's incredible how what he what we've done through that and the testing that is like you look at that thing and it's like wow this is a piece of mm-hmm. he's got a two by four held up from where he built this little cover for when it was minus 40 and he was doing testing like he was doing testing in minus 40 with it and he's done testing in plus 40 with it so yeah and you look at it it's just like wow this thing is beat and bruised and it is still going and it is still <laughs> running yeah and like that's that's the type of testing you want and that's the type of testing we need is that real world stuff because then when you come to me and say ah, i don't know if this is going to work on this farm or you know a grower says ah like this isn't working for me and yeah. it's always okay why why isn't it working because i know it should be that's not that you know not that uh you know you accuse the guy well that's wrong it's like let's let's figure it out let's figure it out let's yeah. fix it let's get your unit working because i know this is the level it should be at and if it's not 
let's get it to that level or find out why it's not performing there. What a cool story to be able to tell customers on the testing your product. You know, a customer once told me if, uh, if man made it, it'll break down, but if God made it, it will die. <laughs> um, so no matter what you guys do, the testing you put, you are going to have product that does break down. There 100%. is no way to prevent that one yep. little bit. Yep. Um, it's A, going through the product and making sure it's as strong as possible for, so the breakdowns are a rarity. Mm-hmm. And then B, being able to cover the rarities and make sure customers are supported. That happens with James at the service yep. um, desk here in Saskatoon and the other service managers throughout our Flamboyant network. It also happens that James can call you or the service guys can call you and we are reactionary to mm-hmm. those one-offs. And mm-hmm. from what I'm hearing and might have experienced, AGI does a very good job of that. Mm-hmm. It's getting, it's definitely, and that's, and like Woody always makes the comment, he's like, you bastards never had to live through the tough years. He's like, I have lived <laughs> through the tough years. And gone. he's like, you guys now are just getting in when the product is great and the product is awesome. And you haven't had to deal with the guy wanting to pretty much shoot you on the farm because well, he doesn't not, like He's it. not wrong because as the rep, so he yeah. would have been the same position as you. Mm-hmm. And Woody looked down the barrel of that gun time and time and time again. So... Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm. I'm sure he's he's now at a place where he's really enjoying what he does because I oh, can tell he, he enjoys it. what he does. But he also gets to look at the next generation of people coming in and be like, "If you only knew the road I paved for you, guys. <laughs> exactly." Yeah, he yeah. blazed that trail for yeah. us, and and even like we had meetings here a couple of weeks ago, and Paul Breezewar, VP of Canadian Sales, was doing the conversation and talking. Like the old mentality was with our past CEO was growth and that was through like acquisitions purchases all that kind of stuff um and now with paul householder the new ceo um he's got a master's in engineering i think he's an engineer by trade he is he's been doing like manufacturing processes that was his job and what he's done his entire life so now that is to a screeching halt and now we're we've completely changed the mentality with him and you can tell even listening to paul like I'm um, not saying Paul wasn't excited before, but listening to him talk, it seems like he's got a little extra pep at his step. Like we are looking at organic growth. We are. So how do you do that? You've got to make sure you have the best product. You have the best facilities. You have the best people because we want to grow our company from where we are. We don't want to buy anymore. We want to grow it from where we are up and just make it better. And those are the steps you got to get there. If you have, you could have what you perceive as the best product in the world, but it's a piece of shit and you're not going to grow. <laughs> so that's where, that's our focus now. So it's, we already, I already know it's been getting better and now it's just getting even better. And it's like you said, putting people, take them their strengths and put them in the right positions. And that's what I see is really going on within the company in certain spots. There's the right people getting put in the right spots that are going to make, um, you know, big big changes and it's going to be yeah i'm really excited for how it's going to go down the road well thanks for joining us today travis our guest today was travis uh, fry from agi territory sales manager and uh, we just want to thank you for coming on the program today thanks everybody thank you for listening to flamin connect for mitch flamin and regan Kuntz. i'm trevor grindy join us next time talk to you soon